Well, let me ask you guys a question. What do you think of this book? Mixed feelings? <laughs> what do you think? If I was to ask you personally, individually, if I was to, to go around the church and ask you guys, what do you think of this book? Well, the answers that I would get would probably be as varied as the fingerprints that we bear on our fingers themselves. From one extreme to the other, it would span the spectrum. Some of you would say, this book means everything to me. In fact, I read it every day. I study it every day. Which, by the way, there's a difference between reading it and studying it. But some of you would be at one extreme and say, I spend hours in this book every day. Learning what it has to say. Learning what God has for my life. Learning about God and Jesus. This book means everything to me. I can't go anywhere without it. In fact, if I leave it behind, I feel lost. And then we would have the other extreme. Well, pastor, I never pick it up. I hardly ever read it. The truth is, I find it boring. It's complicated. It's confusing. I just, it's too overwhelming. Yeah, maybe I do spend a few minutes right before going to bed. And, you know, because I feel that that's the thing I have to do. And, you know, a few verses into it, I just kind of doze off and put it back on the shelf. And, and uh, you know, if I was to take a survey, if I was to question everyone individually, I am sure that I would get um, answers anywhere on this spectrum. From one extreme to the other. And... All of us here fall somewhere within these two extremes. And if I had to guess, (laughs) heard someone chuckle already. If I had to guess, most of us probably fall on this line of this spectrum. It's confusing, it's complicated, it's a pretty big book. I mean, it's a little overwhelming. And well, let me just say for those of you that you might be in that place in your life, I agree with you. It is a complicated book. It is confusing at times. It is a pretty overwhelming book. And yes, I know my young people here listening today, it can be boring sometimes. Let me just share with you a couple of facts about the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible. There are 44 authors, give or take a few. Some of those books I know are up for debate, but for the most part, historically accepted that there are 44 authors of the Bible. And the Bible was written in a span of 1,500 year period. From the first book that was written to the last book that that was written, 1,500 years And so, yes, I agree, it can be a bit complicated, a bit confusing, a bit overwhelming. But the purpose of today's message is that wherever you are on this spectrum, wherever you may find yourself, whether you're reading the Bible a lot and studying it a lot, or if you're at the other extreme and you're not reading it at all, the purpose of this message is to take you from wherever you're at And raise the level of interest up a notch. 
Wherever you are, I just want to raise the level of desire to want to read and study the word up a notch. A few notches, perhaps. And I want to take that level up because I want to be known as a church that reads this book. That studies this book. That takes this book seriously. I want to be known as a church that has made this book a part of our individual lives. There are two things that are an absolute must if we are to understand the scriptures, if we are to make it a part of our lives in a relevant, powerful way. The first thing is that we must approach this book with prayer. We have to approach this book in prayer. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 Verse 16. John chapter 16, verse 13. I'm sorry, say that again. 16, verse 13. Did I say 13, verse 16? I'm sorry. John, see, I told you it's confusing. John chapter 16, verse 13. And this is what it says. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. It is important for us that as we approach this book... That we come to this book with an attitude of prayer. Asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to help us understand the things that we read. The same Spirit who inspired the book is the same Spirit who will help you understand this book. So it is very important for us that whenever we open this book, whenever we approach this book, whether it's to spend five minutes or 30 minutes, it is important for us to approach it with an attitude of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. To understand what I am about to read. Help me to understand what it is that you want to say to me for today, for this week, or for, for, for this month, for this period in my life. Help me to understand what I am reading. It is vitally important for us to approach this book with prayer. The second thing that's important for us to understand in approaching this book is that we must approach this book with patience. We need to approach it with prayer. We need to approach it with patience. It's one of the fruits of the spirits. It's one of the things that says this is what love is. And we need to approach this book with patience. I hate to use the word long-suffering. Because some of you are going to say, yeah, pastor, I know that when I read the book, I'm suffering long. No, we need to approach this book with patience. Let me, under, let me help you understand why we need to approach this book with patience. Can anyone here tell me 
the original language of the Old Testament. Hebrew. Absolutely right. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. There are some sections in the Old Testament that were written in Aramaic. In fact, there are some chapters in the book of Ezra that was written in Aramaic. There is a few chapters in the book of Daniel that was originally written in Aramaic. There is one verse in Jeremiah written in Aramaic. And there is one word in the whole book of Genesis written in Aramaic. Now, Aramaic and Hebrew are very similar language. It's like saying Spanish and Portuguese. They're very similar, but they're different. Hebrew, the original language of the Old Testament, the majority of it, is a dead language. In other words, it's a language that's no longer spoken. It's no longer written. It is a dead language. Now, can anyone tell me what the New Testament was written in? Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so here you have the original writings of this book, 66 books, 44 authors in the span of 1500 years, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, some parts in Aramaic. You have the New Testament that was written in Greek. Well, that poses a few challenges. That poses a few problems. Because unless you immerse yourself in the Hebrew culture, to understand the Hebrew mindset, to understand the Hebrew nuances and the Hebrew idioms, it causes some challenges for us when we translate it from Hebrew into English or from Hebrew to French or to whatever language. And the same thing with the New Testament. It poses some challenges unless you immerse yourself in the Greek culture to understand the Greek mind and understand the Greek idioms and understand um, the, 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 the Greek uh, stories that were told. It can cause some problems, some challenges in understanding now that it is translated into a different language. Let me give you an example. If someone was to say to me, that poor man, he kicked the bucket. Well, we know what that means, but if I was to translate that to my mom, word for word, my mom would say, well, why did he kick the bucket? Was he angry? Was he upset? So there's a challenge whenever you go from one language to the next, and that is why it is vitally important for us to approach this word of God with patience. We need, we've been encouraged to develop this character trait in our lives, this patience. And, and, and it is vital for us to approach the word of God with patience. We can't just open it up and expect to read and, and understand. No, no, no. We need to understand that, that this was written a long time ago. It was written in a different culture. It was written in a a different language. And so when we approach the word of God, we need to approach it with prayer for understanding, for the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, but we also need to approach it with patience and know that it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to, to understand and to, and to start developing the thought process that it takes to understand exactly what the Bible writers were talking about. You know, I love mountain biking. I, I, I just, I love mountain biking. I love going out on the trails. 
Now, for those of you that think mountain biking is going out to the CNO Canal, I invite you to come on a trip with me. But a lot of mountain biking is experience, really. Sure, cardiovascular helps to be in shape, but a lot of it is experience, is knowing how to take that rut or knowing how to go over that log, knowing how to get your the, the, the tail of the bike to spin around the corner so that you can whip around it. And that comes with experience. You should have seen me the first time I went out on a mountain bike trip. Fall off to the side. They'd have to wait up. I'd get back on my bike. It wasn't smooth at all. Now, however, when I go mountain biking, I can take these trails smooth. Why? Because I've learned, I've spent the time to learn how to maneuver around these, these ruts or these stumps or, these, or, or, or the, just the, the terrain. And it takes time. You have to be patient with that. The same thing with Scripture. We need to be patient when we approach this book. And in time, we will learn how to maneuver through this book. We will understand how, um, how to better understand. And we'll be able to start connecting the dots. Well, wait a second. This was said in the Old Testament. And here he's quoting it in the New Testament. What's the significance of that? Well, wait a second. I remember Peter also talked about this in his book. And, and the longer you spend approaching it with prayer... And with patience, the longer you spend reading this book, the more you're going to understand this book and the more it's going to become alive to you. And you're going to want to make it even more a part of your life. But I understand, I do, I understand that there are hurdles, that there are things that that make learning and studying the scripture somewhat difficult. And so I want to share with you, I want to take a few moments to share with you some of the techniques or some pointers that may help you overcome these hurdles um, to try and, and that will help make the scriptures come alive to you. And you will enjoy reading the word of God even more. I'd like to share with you here. Don't don't get scared when I pull this out. It's a pretty big book, I know. You're saying, Pastor Q, there is no way. <laughs> there is no way I'm going to figure out that book. But, but let me explain to you. Let me explain to you real quick. We already touched on the fact that the Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And then that causes some challenges. And unless you learn the language, you're going to be um, somewhat... Um, you're going to be facing some challenges trying to understand exactly what is being said and why it's being said. Now, most of us here don't have the time to learn Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, right? Would you agree with me? Most of us don't have the time to learn a second language, let alone a third language, and then a fourth language. So the second best thing, The second best thing that you can do is to have a culmination of translations. In other words, the more translations you can read to understand one text, the greater understanding you're going to have of that one text. You see, because let me explain something. When translators get together 
to come up with a new version of scripture. And I hope this is starting to make sense as to why there's so many translations of scripture. Okay. When translators get together, when a Bible society gets together, when a group of scholars get together to translate the scriptures, they will determine for themselves how conservative they will translate it or how liberal they will be in their translation. Are they going to do it word for word as it is taught in the, as it, as it is spelled out in the Hebrew and the Greek and Aramaic? Are they going to go word for word or are they going to be a little more loose with the translation? In other words, what she meant was that that man died. In other words, we're not going to translate it word for word, the man kicked the bucket, we're going to say, no, what that means is, and so here you have a variety of approaches to translating the scriptures. And the best thing that we can do is to just have a variety of translations. Because the more translations we read, the broader our understanding is going to be of that one text that we're studying. And so this Bible here is called a parallel Bible. And if you open it up, you will see that there are four translations in this one Bible. And so as I'm reading the Bible, I can see what the King James version, how the King James translates it. Then right next to it, a modern language translation. Right next to that, a living Bible translation. And then next to that, the revised standard translation. And this is called the parallel Bible. And you can pick these up at the, at the you know, Amazon or any bookstore or Christian bookstore. And there's different kinds. You can find parallel Bibles that only have two versions. And you can pick your favorite two versions. Or you can pick one that has four versions in them. And, and they, they mix them up. So this is one way of overcoming these hurdles that make scripture kind of hard to understand. This is just one thing that you can do. Now, you can also pick up what's called a Greek-English interlinear Bible. Now, some of you will sometimes find uh, interlinear basically is one language to another. So if you wanted to pick up, for instance, a French-English interlinear Bible, you can do that. You can pick up a German-English interlinear Bible. And basically what that is, is that it's a translation in in those two languages. This happens to be a Greek-English interlinear Bible. Now, for you scholars out there, for those of you that really want to go deep into what the Word of God says, this would be a great Bible for you. Because it has the original, right? It has the original. And right under the original, it has the word of that original text. Of that original word in the Greek. All right? Now, let me, let me just read to you here. I just opened it randomly. Why it's hard to have a translation that's word for word. All right? I'm going to read, um, I'm gonna read here um, um, just randomly in English the literal translation to one of these. Um, his into the Judean country, and there he was spending time with them, and he was baptizing. Was now also John baptizing in Adon near Salim, because water much was there. And they were coming and were being baptized. Not yet, for was been thrown into prison John. 
<laughs> it's a little difficult if you're going to read it word for word, right? And that's why we have translations to try and help us understand what is being said in our own language. But this is definitely a great tool to have if you want to kind of dive into what that word really means or even the the, the order of... of um, the, the order of the, the sentence, because in Greek, that's a big thing, the order of words. But if you get to that point, this is a great resource for you uh, to have. Here's another thing that I want to suggest to you that will help you overcome some of these hurdles in understanding the scriptures. All right. Find a translation that you enjoy reading. Find a translation that makes sense to you. Find a tra- if, you're, if you're young, find a translation that has a little more modern language to it. Because in reading the scriptures, your life will, will definitely be changed. Remember I said that there's a difference between reading and studying, right? When you move beyond just reading and you move on into the studying portion of what you're doing, then that's when you pull out the other translations to get a bigger picture of what it is that you're reading. All right, but find a translation that you enjoy reading that makes sense to you and make it yours. This is your Bible. It's not something that you lend out haphazardly. It's not something that, oh, I have an extra Bible here. No, this is yours. This is your word. It is yours. And, and find one that, that, that is pleasing to the eye. There, there are different things that you can get, that you can get. There's red letter edition, which is the, you know, the words of Jesus are in red. There's cross reference Bibles that you can get that will help you uh, match text in the Bible. I, I will not own a Bible that does not have maps in the back. I'm a visual person. And when the Bible talks about a place, I want to go see where that place is. And when they journeyed from place A to place B, I want to kind of visually see. So find a Bible that you enjoy, make it a part of your life, make it a part. Say, this is mine, and and I'm proud of it, and and this is, wherever I go, this is my Bible, this is the one that I read. Now, how many of you grew up in a home where this was a huge no-no? I dare not even touch it. (laughs) All right? Yep. I grew up in that home. Right? Where the Bible is sacred, the Bible is holy, and you don't put anything on, on, on the Bible. And that's all right. If you grew up in that home, that's okay. But I will tell you the effect that that had on my life and how it affected the study of the word for me early on in my life. And since then, it has changed. What that did for me was that, that I didn't want to write in my Bible. I didn't want to highlight anything in my Bible. Because, you know, I was taught it's sacred. You don't defile it. You don't touch it. You, you don't put anything on it, you know. And, and as a result, man, you know, I, wow, that's a powerful text. And then you just flip over or you close it. And then a week later, you're like, where was that text? Huh? And then you kind of flip through. Well, since then, I've learned it's okay to highlight your favorite verses. It's okay to underline them. It's okay to even make notes on the side of your Bible. 
Because by doing that, not only are you getting a, a, a powerful impression of what's being said, but visually you're putting it in your mind as you're highlighting it or you're making notes in your Bible. So I'm telling you, I, I'm giving you permission. Make it your own. Highlight those verses. Write, underline those favorite verses. I, I know some people that even color code some of with their study. If they're reading through scripture and they find something that has to do with the love of God, they'll highlight it in red. And then if they find something that has to do with the glory and the majesty of God, they'll highlight it in yellow and, and so forth. But, but have, have, have fun with it. Enjoy it. Highlight it. Um, underline it. Write notes. Maybe you want to do a cross-reference that isn't in there. And said, this verse reminds me of this other verse. And so you put a, 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 a little note next time. See 2 Kings 2, 4 or whatever. Because it reminded you of that. So, so, so break through that. And, and make it your own and, and, and start to, to highlight it and make it your own. Because what will happen is as you flip through your, the, the word of God, as you're studying the word of God, as, as you're trying to remember, where is that verse? Having done that will help you find those verses. It's going to make the, the Bible come alive for you. All right. Why? Why do I think this is so important? Why is it that as your pastor, I'm coming before you and I'm saying that the study of the word of God is so important? Why am I saying that we must approach it with prayer and with patience and that we need to make it a part of our lives? Why do I want to raise the level of interest and desire to read the Bible? I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16. It was our scripture reading earlier today. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. It's a pretty easy verse to remember. We all know John 3, 16. Well, we can remember that. This is somewhat, you can say, the gospel of the Bible. 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. This is what it says. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. How much of scripture? All scripture. Now, let me just point out that at the time that this was written, the New Testament was not in existence. So what scriptures is Paul referring to? The Old Testament. All scripture, referring to the Old Testament... Is inspired by God. And it, it strikes me. Um, it strikes me. That we have some Christians. Or some denominations. You will, you will hear them refer to themselves as. New Testament believers. They do away with the Old Testament. The Old Testament doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It was for the Jews. We're, we're New Testament believers. But yet. Paul writes here. That all scripture referring to the Old Testament is inspired by God. And Jesus said, the scriptures testify of me. And time and time again, the writers of the New Testament, as they wrote these letters, they would quote from the Old Testament. Because for them, the Old Testament 
told them about Jesus Christ. It told them about his mission. It told them about what he was to do here on earth. And, and the Old Testament can become just as live to you as the New Testament. Don't neglect the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, folks, we get a serious look into the work and into the life of Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for. It is good for. These are the things that the scripture is good for. It is good for doctrine or teachings. That's right. The scripture is good enough for us to base our teachings on. This, this book here is good enough for us to base what we believe our doctrines on. It is good for doctrine. It is good for reproof. Now, most of us don't like that part of this. It's good enough for it. And, and by the way, it's part of the reason why I believe that so many people stay away from Scripture. Because the Scriptures do tell us what's wrong with us. It does. It disciplines us. No child likes to be told uh, what to do. Or really, no adult really likes to be told. What, what do you mean? I'm doing what wrong? Some of us welcome it. But most of us, you know, we're a little bit uneasy with it. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible says, you know what? You're kind of faltering in this area in your life. You're not living up to the standard, you know, that you should be. And I believe that a lot of people take that reproof and say, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I want to do my own thing. I want to follow the dictates of my own heart. But the Bible is there to say, you know what? This area in your life needs improvement. And if you want to know what it means to walk with God and to walk like God, then take, take what the word of God says and, 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 and apply it to your life. And if you read something that, that disagrees with how you're living, instead of throwing that out, just say, you know what? It's pointing out an area in my life that needs work and start to ask for the Holy Spirit to work in your life in that as he reveals to you, as he convicts you of the sin in your life. But here's the beauty of the scriptures. Not only is it good for doctrine, what we believe. Not only is it good to tell us what's wrong in our lives, but it's also good, as it says next, it is profitable for correction. It doesn't just tell you what's wrong. It tells you how to fix it. It doesn't just tell you, you know, what's wrong in your life or the sins in your life. No, it gives you hope. It gives you purpose. It says this is how to fix the problem. You know, none of us likes that person in the boardroom or in the committee meeting or no one likes that person in the group that all they do is complain, complain and criticize and criticize. And then you say to them, well, what, what do you think we should do about it? Well, I don't know. That's your problem. You figure it out. Nobody likes that person. Well, you know, the word of God says this is what's wrong. This is, this is what you're struggling with. But it takes it a step further. And it says this is how to correct it. This is how we can make it right. And then listen to the last thing here. 
Um, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let me ask you a quick question. The Bible says that only one is righteous. Who is that? God, Jesus Christ. Only one is righteous. And here, Paul is telling me that the word of God is profitable for, it is good for, to tell me, to teach me how I can be righteous in God, in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches us how to return to that original state that he created us in. Remember, we were created in God's image. And that is what, that is what God set out to do to, to recreate us, to bring us back to that image. And here the word of God gives us the instructions that we need to little by little step by step, return to that purpose, return to the very image of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man and woman of God, see, that's my translation, making it relevant to today, that the, which by the way, there are translations out there that are gender sensitive. I don't know if you knew that or not. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of us long to be complete? How many of us long to be fulfilled? To, to not feel lonely anymore. To know what our purpose is in life. Scripture says it will help you be complete. Some, some of your translations will say perfection. To, to, find, uh, to be perfect. To find that completion in God. Thoroughly equipped to do every good work. You know, two weeks ago, we finished a sermon series on the purpose of the church. And here now we read that the word of God will equip us to do every good work that we set out to do. Whatever good work we set out to do in the community, whatever good work we set out to do amongst us here, the word of God will equip us and will help us to, to know what to do. Now listen to this. I left the best for last. And Paul actually started with it first, but I wanted to leave it to the end. Verse 15. And that the child and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Anyone here today struggling with the assurance of salvation? Anyone here today struggling with the fact that if Christ was to come tonight, I don't know if I will be saved. If I was to, to, if he was to come tonight or if, if something was to happen to me today, I don't know that I would be in heaven with my family, with God. Anyone struggling with the assurance of salvation, the word of God says it will help you to be wise unto salvation. It will help you to understand how a person is saved, how I am saved. It, it helps you understand and to, and to have that assurance of salvation which is found in Christ Jesus. Man, 
when you think about everything that the Bible helps us to do, helps us to accomplish in life, it is no doubt that this is why the devil tries so hard to make sure that we never open this book. When you think about everything that the Bible does for us, that that it accomplishes in our lives, obviously approaching it with prayer, approaching it with the Holy Spirit, approaching it with patience. When you think about everything that the word of God can do in a person's life, no doubt this is why the devil makes sure to fill your life with so much stuff that you have no time to read the scriptures. This is why, I mean, it is like, it is like he wants to, to eradicate it, eliminate it from our life, from our society, from our church. And we need to fight. We need to fight every day, day in and day out to make sure that the Bible is a part of our lives, a part of our church, a part of our culture, a part of our society. The word of God says, In Psalms 119, verse 11. I have hidden thy word in my heart so that I may not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need to leave this place having raised the desire within our lives, within our hearts to want to spend more time in this book. Not only reading it, but studying it. Using the tools that I've given you, and there are many more tools out there that you can discover, but we need to spend time in His Word. There is a passage in Scripture that I do not like to read. In fact, if I was to be perfectly honest with you, it kind of scares me a little bit. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Amos. It's a small book, one of the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold. The days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That is a scary time for me. And not because I'm not going to have a job. (laughs) Not because I'm going to be out of a job. But it scares me because I don't want to live in a place where I can't hear God. I don't want to live in a place where the word of God isn't spoken, isn't taught. That's scary to me. But Amos prophesies of the last days and he says the day is coming where there will be a famine on the land. This famine won't be of 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 hunger. It won't be um, of thirst. No. It's going to be a famine of the word of God. Are we living in those days? Some would probably argue yes. As we see how scarce the word of God is in our homes and in our schools. 
And unfortunately in some of our churches. Some would say we are living in those days. I don't think we're quite there yet. Why? Because I'm holding the word of God in my hand. And we have the opportunity today. And we have the privilege today. In this, in this country that we live in. To spend as much time as we want. Reading this book. Making this book a part of our lives. And we have a promise found in Matthew that says, those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's the promise? For they will be filled. We have still the opportunity to make this word a part of our lives, to make it a part of everything that we do and say, to make it a part of our when we wake up and when we rest. We still here have that privilege To make this word a part of our lives. I encourage you. I beg you. Let's make this word a part of our lives. An an intimate part of our lives. Uh, Something that we can't live without. Just raise the level of interest. Raise that desire to spend time in his word. Studying, reading his word. Because in doing so, folks, I got to say, it will come alive to you. You will see God and you will see Christ in such beautiful ways. You will discover things about him that you never knew. You will understand. You will be wise into salvation. You will have the assurance of salvation. And not only that, but you will have the wisdom of God in your heart and in your mind. That whenever you're faced with an issue, whenever you're faced with a problem in life, whenever you're faced with sin. Having read and having studied and having made this word a part of your life. You will be able to stand strong in his name and in his power and in his grace. Let's raise the interest level. Let's raise the bar just a little bit. And wherever you are on the spectrum of how involved you are in this book, just raise it up a notch and commit to yourself today, right now. I'm going to spend more time reading and studying his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much that in your grace and in your love, And in your providence, you saw it fit to inspire holy men to write these words down for us here today. What a legacy has been left behind. And Lord, we have an opportunity today to pick this book up and to make it a part of our lives. To no longer leave it on a shelf collecting dust. But to approach it with prayer. To approach it with patience. And make it a part of us. Your word says. That in the beginning. Was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And this word. Became flesh. Dwelt among us. And died. Lord could it be. That as we approach this book. With prayer and patience. We will meet you. We will come face to face with you. Lord, that's what we seek. That's what we want. So please, in our everyday life, through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
remind us, encourage us, give us the strength, give us the desire to spend time in your word is our prayer this morning. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.